The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Culpable Case Reviews is released every Friday and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want early access to next week's episode and ad-free listening, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus. For more information, check out tenderfootplus.com. Enjoy the episode. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals interviewed and participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV or Resonate Originals. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and other graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm still just trying to trek along with life. It's hard to try and keep a cold case alive while also just trying to live a life that my dad would have wanted me to live and not get wrapped up in trying to figure out his case and solve it for him. This is Ariel Watkins, the daughter of Tim Watkins, the victim in this story. Tim was 61 years old when he disappeared on Mount Hermon near his home in Palmer Lake, Colorado. As an avid outdoorsman and cyclist, he was known to spend days on end hitting the trails and enjoying the great outdoors. But on Thursday, September 14th, 2017, Tim went out for a routine biking excursion on his favorite trail and lost contact with his family. A few hours without communication was not unusual, but when the hours turned into days, concerns began to mount. It wouldn't take long for a search party to find Tim's bike next to a tree with no sign of him, signaling that something bad had occurred. The very next day, that fear would be confirmed when the search party found his body not far from where his bike was discovered the day before. This has been hard for our family. It's hard to even speak about it. And I don't ever like to wish bad things on people. And I hope that the person that did this is suffering like we are that they feel this pain too. It's been nearly six years since Tim's death, and authorities have remained fairly hushed about the details surrounding this case. While the family has tried their best to be patient and let the investigation run its course, they're starting to fear that it's halted to a complete stop. Tim's daughter, Ariel, has felt compelled to get the word out about her father's unsolved case in hopes that something of substance will finally come from this investigation. We just got to keep pressing as best as we can. And I feel like if we're a loud, conglomerative voice yelling for justice, that maybe they'll hear us. This is a culpable case review of Tim Watkins. correct yes like the mermaid like the mermaid nice to meet you again i came across tim's story just a few months ago it was actually recommended to us by his daughter ariel it's a case that has a fair amount of media coverage news articles and even a few podcast episodes but what struck me was that even amidst the coverage very little is known about the events surrounding tim's death most importantly who's responsible after connecting with ariel I learned that just recently she'd reached a place where she's ready to share her dad's story. And as she settled into a local studio in Colorado, I quickly realized why she was so keen to share it. Ariel's life was shaped by her dad from the very beginning. 
My name is Ariel Watkins. I am Tim Watkins' daughter. I grew up in Monument and Palmer Lake area, so I spent a lot of time on that mountain. And after I graduated high school, I traveled a little bit and dabbled around into different parts of the country, but pretty much my whole life has been here in Colorado. Right now, I'm actually in school to be a massage therapist. So in August, I will be graduating and I will be pursuing that. Been wanting to be a massage therapist for about 10 years now. So this is a dream coming true and something my dad would have wanted me to do too. Ariel tells me that she and her dad were always very close, more like friends than a parent and child. He had an affectionate sense of humor and went out of his way to provide a life full of joy for Ariel and her younger brother Isaac. Oh my gosh. He was so goofy and so silly and so fun. There was always childlike wonder with everything that he did. We loved to do Disney movies together, like Lilo and Stitch is one of our favorite movies that we would watch together. And I remembered we liked to listen to this Elvis album, especially after Lilo and Stitch came out, and we would just like, when the Devil in the Sky song came on, we would just like start shaking and dancing and having so much fun. He just... He was just silly, and he knew how to joke and laugh about things. Like, even when things were hard, he would just find a way to make, like, a silly face or say something that would just bring you back and make you smile. And just good person, all-around compassionate person. He was my best friend. While there was plenty of fun and joy growing up, Ariel admits that life wasn't always easy for the Watkins family. But when she reflects back on her childhood, she recognizes that Tim was really the one saving grace in all of it. So my parents actually separated when I was two, and I loved getting to spend time with my dad. I would get to spend the weekends with him for the most part and holidays. I wanted to live with my dad. I'd always been closer with him. My mom and I have always kind of butted heads. So once he got full custody of me, I was really, really stoked to be with him full time. We just really got along. He understood me really well. We just vibed, I guess, is the best way of putting it. And when he remarried, they were only together for a year. And then after they separated, he still remained with full custody of us. And I was very grateful for that. I didn't really want to live with my mom. Although Ariel and her younger brother Isaac had to navigate growing up in a broken home, she tells me that Tim did everything in his power to bring stability. This was never more true than when the three would spend time together outdoors. So everything that we did was really, like, wholesome and valuable, I feel like, with him. He was very outdoorsy. He loved to take us camping. I loved just getting to explore nature with him. That was his playground. And then just riding bikes with him when I was a kid is just some of the best memories that I have. Ariel will never forget all the quality time she and her dad spent together out on the trails. She remembers, as a young kid, struggling to get up some of the steeper hills. Tim would always place his hand on her back and give her a nudge while encouraging her. Come on, you got this burial. That was his nickname for her. Tim was adventurous through and through. He grew up as a Boy Scout and learned survival skills early in life. He was a true outdoorsman. Ariel always admired these qualities, but she was also fond of another one of Tim's passions. Throughout his life, he developed a deep appreciation for Native American culture. Some of her earliest memories were through experiences they had paying homage to indigenous people. Powwow, when I was five, was probably one of the coolest experiences ever. Like, seeing all the dancing and the regalia that everyone was wearing and, like, the sound of the drums resonates with me deeply. He did a lot of Native American beadwork, so he'd make beadwork pieces for people's bicycles. He made beautiful patterns that he would take from books that were from designs that were from Native American culture and specifically tried to pay homage to their heritage and was really just so compassionate and caring about the culture. When I was a baby, he also had me blessed by a Native American medicine man, and I was given a Native American name. My name is Star and I, or We Chumpy Alicia. He made me a dress, and I have pictures of when I was a baby in this regalia, and, like, it was just really special, a sacred portion of him that I try and keep alive. Over time, Tim built a strong friendship with a man who was a member of the Lakota tribe, 
the largest tribal group in Colorado by origin. And what started out as an appreciation for their way of life eventually became something much bigger and more meaningful. Ariel doesn't take for granted how eye-opening it was for her. These people who are indigenous to this land are living in basically third-world countries and are treated so differently, even though they did nothing to deserve this. And the way cases are handled on the reservation are so much different than how they're handled within, like, our normal government. And he wanted to give those people a voice, and he wanted to be standing with them and just be an ally, and I think that that's really important. To this day, Ariel seeks to fulfill her dad's mission, whether through advocacy or attending festivals, any way to share her appreciation for Native American culture. She describes Tim as a man of many passions, activism, of course, being one, but she admits that probably nothing exceeded the passion he had for his first love. First and foremost, mountain biking. That was his everything. I remember being little, going to the velodrome in Colorado Springs and seeing Olympic cyclists doing road cycling, doing all sorts of mountain biking events with him. Like His passion was cycling. He loved everything about it. As I learned more about Tim's love for cycling, Ariel explained that it was a miracle Tim was even able to pursue this passion, making it all the more special to him. When he was a Forest Service person and working for the Forest Service, he actually broke his ankles off going down a cable line, and he ended up putting his feet out in front of him to stop him. And then when he, his feet snapped, they had to re-sew his ankles back on. So he ended up having limited mobility in his ankles, and he couldn't move like normal people could with their legs. So cycling was non-weight-bearing pressure. He was able to actually get himself onto a bike with casts on. So he was double-casted up, and he would scoot himself onto a mat, hoist himself onto a bike, and go ride. That way he could get exercise. Like, he loved mountain biking, and nothing could stop him from being on it. The fact that he was able to do as much with cycling as he was was incredible. He would come to my soccer games, and I would see him try and run, and you could see how much pain it was for him to try and run. But him on a bike was like a duck to water. That was where he was just a speed demon. Do you have a lot of similarities? You know, are you a mountain biker? Or Well, I actually didn't mountain bike for a while, especially after his murder. I didn't think I was ever going to mountain bike again. Last year was the first time I took my first solo mountain bike ride here in Boulder, and it was a really special accomplishment. The bike I have was actually built by him for someone else when he had his bike shop in Monument a long time ago, so I got to ride with him, so that was really, really special for me. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security I use and recommend. I'm relieved to know that while my days get longer and longer this month, and my family and I are starting to venture back into the outdoors to enjoy the spring weather, I won't have to sweat about whether or not my home is protected, because I know that Simply Safe has my back. There's a reason they were named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Simply Safe's advanced technology keeps every room of my house protected. And if my cameras and alarms aren't enough to deter a thief, then I can trust in their 24-7 professional monitoring for fast emergency response at just half the cost of traditional home security. We're talking less than a dollar a day. You really can't beat it. Do yourself a favor, protect your home today. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/culpable. That's simplysafe.com/culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If there's one thing I've learned about Tim Watkins, it's that nothing was more essential to him than mountain biking. Amidst all the pain and hardship resulting from his work incident, bicycles kind of became his crutch, you could say. But cycling wasn't just a hobby of Tim's. He made a career from it as well. Really, it became a way of life. He's always been passionate about mountain biking, but he did go to college to be an educator. So he did get a teacher's license, and then he ended up going to bicycle mechanic school after that, and then ended up just working in bike shops instead. He also loved building mountain bike trails, too. So, like, in our area where we grew up, like, he would take us to go help fix trails and make sure that they were rideable or create drains where water had washed away certain places. Most of the trails that are up there, my dad helped build or helped maintain or created. So this was his playground. Like, he knew everything. The mountains surrounding Palmer Lake, the area Tim grew up in, always held a special place in his heart. It was his oasis. But Ariel tells me that over the years, the area did go through some changes, and not in a good way. Of course, that didn't stop Tim from going there. When I was growing up, it was really quiet, and it wasn't really populated trail. And then as I got into high school, it became more popular for people to go off-roading and do illegal shooting in certain areas. So it started gaining popularity when I was in high school. And when I moved away and came back, it had gotten worse. So there had been people that were transients that were like living up there full time now. There was like illegal dumps and stuff like that happening. So it was a lot more trashed, a lot more populated. We spent a lot of time in that area. So really knew where trails were safe and like where he would have the possibility of running into people or not, essentially. He was really good at surviving. Tim's adventurous spirit and love of nature often collided when he would take impromptu camping or cycling trips. It wasn't uncommon for him to be gone all day or even multiple days on end while finding solace on the trails. And his family knew he could look after himself out there. So when he went missing around September 14th, 2017, his family wasn't too concerned. But when the next morning rolled around with no contact from Tim, they got the sense that he might be in danger. The only time that I ever heard about him ever being scared on his mountain bike was when he was riding up that reservoir trail and a mountain lion actually came up from behind him and ran past him. That was the scariest moment. So when that came up, I assumed either he had gotten attacked by an animal or he was hit by a vehicle and knocked off the road, that maybe he was riding down it and people were driving recklessly and hit him because that is also very common that people get hit by cars in that area. My first thoughts was he's hurt and he needs help because his feet don't work well, he can't run. And if he is really hurt, then he's really in trouble and we gotta go find him. So when he initially went missing, Homicide wasn't the first thing that was on my mind, I assumed. It was mountain lion. In the six years since Tim's death, still much is unknown about what happened up in those mountains. This has fueled Ariel to advocate for her dad and best friend. Recently, she's found herself doing a lot of reflecting on the events surrounding her father's death. Even after all this time, she remembers the days around Tim's disappearance pretty well. So I was living in Crested Butte, and I had talked to my dad about a day or two before he went missing. My stepmother, her name is Ginger. My dad and her had gotten married about two years before on this fall harvest called Vinatok. And it's a celebration that's done in Crested Butte. My husband and I participate in every year we do fire art performance for it. My daughter was 10 months old, so this was my first year doing fire performance again after having a baby. and. We were getting ready for all the events that were coming up that weekend. It had to be like on a on Monday or Tuesday that we spoke because Thursday was the night that he went out for a ride. And that was the last thing that I heard from him. She tells me that the last person known to have seen Tim was his wife at the time, Ginger, who Ariel is very close with to this day. She says that Ginger is an incredible woman and that she's grateful for the amount of support she's provided her. 
To give a little backstory here, Tim and Ginger both grew up in the Palmer Lake area and were childhood friends before getting reacquainted in 2014. Their reacquaintance couldn't have happened at a better time. Tim was lonely and looking for love, and Ginger was in a pretty bad place mentally. Over the years, she lost her sister to diabetes, her father to esophageal cancer, her son to suicide, and most recently, her brother to lung cancer. It's safe to say that when Tim came back into the picture, his kind spirit was very much welcomed by Ginger. The couple quickly fell in love and got married in 2015 at the annual Venetoc Festival in Crested Butte, the one Ariel just mentioned, that was approaching the weekend her dad went missing. While Ariel claims the couple were very much in love, she admits that they had been going through somewhat of a spell in the days leading up to Tim's disappearance and were attempting to reset the relationship. From what I've gathered, a lot of this centered around Tim's financial problems and Ginger having to provide, though he had recently found work after not working for several months prior. My stepmom and him had kind of been going through a little bit of a rough patch and he was um, sleeping in his car. And he told me that Ginger and them were going to celebrate her birthday together and that he was going to stay at her house that night. So it was Thursday night that they were supposed to be together. She had been working long hours and uh, she got home at like 8.30 and she thought it was weird that he wasn't home, but she assumed he just went out to go camp again. Although the couple had been in a rough patch, as Ariel puts it, she says the last time she spoke with her father, just days before his disappearance, he explained that he and Ginger had recently made amends. The two even made arrangements in Palmer Lake for Ginger's birthday that Thursday. After that, they would head to Ariel's hometown of Crested Butte to commemorate their anniversary at the annual Venetoc Fest that was happening that weekend. But on the morning of Thursday, September 14th, also Ginger's birthday, Tim told Ginger that he was going to take a bike ride in the mountains before coming home to start their busy weekend. Ginger left for a shift at the hospital where she worked as a radiology tech. But when she returned home from work that night, Tim wasn't there. This seemed odd to her, but assuming he'd taken the night to camp after finishing his bike ride, she wasn't overly alarmed. Though she did send some texts to try and check in on him, to no avail. Come Friday morning, she'd still not heard from Tim. Around 10 a.m., she called the Old Town Bike Shop in Colorado Springs, where Tim worked at the time, to check and see if he'd come in for work that morning. And she was told that he had not shown up for work, or even called in, which was practically unheard of. At this point, it had been about 24 hours since anyone had heard from Tim. Ginger and the kids were officially concerned. And then I get a call on Friday from Ginger asking if I would know where he might have gone on a ride or if he might be somewhere. And I I told her I had no idea. So I immediately went on like social media and got on to friends that I knew were hikers or bikers within that area and asked if they may have seen him or heard from him. His car was parked at Ginger's house, so we knew his car was where it was supposed to be, but we couldn't find his bike and we couldn't find him. We couldn't get in touch with him with his phone. And on Saturday is when we officially put out the missing person's phone call. Ginger actually started posting about Tim's disappearance on social media the morning of Saturday, September 16th, which would turn out to be beneficial to the search as volunteers immediately responded. Later that day, she called the Palmer Lake Police Department to report Tim missing, but the search was already in full swing. A large, dedicated group of volunteers had begun to scour the area. Nobody knew for sure where he may have gone, but one thing was for certain. It wasn't going to be the easiest area to search, due to its size and rugged terrain, mountains, and thick forest. While Ariel made plans to travel there from her home in Crested Butte, Ginger and Isaac joined in on the search for Tim. My brother, he was in his own rogue search party because my brother knew the area very well too. He spends a lot of time hiking and fishing and camping up there as well. So he was looking in the places that he knew people might not know to look right away. And he was searching in the deeper parts of the mountain, more of the like secluded trails that he knew my dad knew of, but maybe not everybody else. 
The other search parties were starting at the base of Mount Hermon and kind of going up the mountain, following that service road and following the trails that were the single tracks in that area. We knew Limbaugh Canyon was one of his favorite trails, so I think that's where we decided that's where we were going to really start doing more thorough investigation. They were able to recover a shoe on Saturday, and they found his bike leaning up against a tree. So, like, as soon as the shoe was found, I knew that this was not good. Ginger quickly identified Tim's shoe, a size 42 Pearl Izumi, that had been found along Mount Hermon Road. A few hours later, his bike was found, resting on its side next to a tree, about a quarter mile from where Mount Hermon Road breaks into Limbaugh Canyon Trail, a trail Tim frequented. The next day, Sunday, April 17th, the search party discovered additional items scattered across the area. According to multiple sources, the other items found were Tim's cell phone case, a grocery store card, and other random items from his wallet. But the most shocking discovery would come just hours later, when Tim's body was finally found, covered with some brush and a shallow grave, roughly 50 feet from where his bike had been found. Yeah, just off to the side of the favorite trail. There's a big meadow and then a bouldery section that you come into where there's like a kind of like a rock canyon, but it's just big boulders and it's a little hilly. And he was found just outside of that boulder area. So it was kind of like dug out a little bit. Like it wasn't deep at all. Like two or three feet, maybe, I would say, and then covered with the dirt that was surrounding that area. I think somebody actually may have seen something sticking out of the ground and started to, like, look, and that's when they found him. After going missing for nearly four days, Tim's body was discovered and quickly identified. According to various news sources, Tim had a bag on his person that had an uneaten banana in it, indicating he may not have been on the trail long before he was killed. But interestingly, the other items Tim was believed to have with him, his camel hydration pack, his cell phone, windbreaker, helmet, socks, and his other matching cycling shoe were missing, and to this day, have not been recovered. But based on the personal items that were recovered, along with the discovery of Tim's buried body, law enforcement were starting to put together the pieces. It was Monday morning that we were called into the El Paso County's sheriff's office. My brother, my stepmom, and my husband was there. None of us had any idea of what had happened because none of us had seen his body when they told me that they found gunshot wounds on him. That was the last thing I was anticipating to hear. I knew growing up there that there's people that do go illegally shoot, and my dad had encountered them before on the trail, but he would always be very polite when he would see people be like, hey, make sure you guys, are, there's cyclists coming down in this way, make sure you're shooting into a backstop. Upon hearing the news, Ariel tried hard to rationalize. She knew that illegal shooting had become a problem in the area. She thought it must have been a terrible accident. The shooter probably panicked, buried Tim's body, and spread his belongings around the area but authorities had a little more information to share. He was shot twice, once in the chest and once as like a defensive wound on his hand. The weapon that was used was a 22. I want to point out that other reports claim Tim was shot in three different places. He had an injury to his hand, his ear had been grazed, and the fatal shot entered near his ribs and did not exit. And... They told us that they determined his death to be a homicide. And my heart just dropped. I couldn't understand why anybody would shoot him. And the second thought was like, well, there was no reason to. They didn't even steal his bike. They didn't steal his wallet. He had no money to take. What was the point of shooting this person? And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And it just felt so malicious. 
Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. From everything I've heard, Tim was loved by everyone and was a well-respected local. So the fact that he was found buried in a shallow grave and that his death was now being investigated as a homicide came as a shock to everybody in the community and especially Ariel and the rest of Tim's family. The El Paso County Sheriff's Office immediately took control of Tim's investigation, which the family was very thankful for, as there were concerns with the volunteer searcher's handling of the scene and potential evidence. I found out later that the shoe, when they found it, that all the people in the search and rescue were touching the shoe. There was no bag or anything like that, so people were handling his shoe. So anything that I feel like could have had fingerprints on it got messed up. Where his body was found, the search and rescue team was basically saying they may have been walking on top of him because that's how close they were to finding him and how close he was to his bicycle. While Tim's family worries about the potential evidence that may have been lost in the early stages of the investigation, what's become even more concerning is the feeling that not much has changed with Tim's case over the past six years. While there was an abundance of information shared in the beginning, unfortunately, communication with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office stalled over time. These days, Ariel says it's hard to even get a reply. But she tells me that they were able to get their hands on the autopsy report some time ago. However, they've decided to not release the details until they can determine the best course of action. We kept that file closed because we wanted to secure the investigation as much as we could because we felt like so much of what was found in the beginning of his case had gotten tarnished. Because it was an illegal area to shoot, there was a bunch of bullet fragments. There was a bunch of different things like that. So we were just trying to preserve his case as best as we could and try and keep whatever information only the killer would know to try and just protect him try and help him get his case solved. It's actually been really tricky because this has been passed around so many times. I actually don't know who's in charge of his case now. Anytime I do reach out to El Paso County, I try and email them with the last person that they said was in charge of his case, and I don't get emails back. So I'm not even sure right now what's going on with his case, which is really, really frustrating and infuriating. Other than they say it's still open and they're hoping for new evidence to come up. Ginger and I both are kind of under this impression that his case is in a dusty file at the bottom of some boxes somewhere, and it's just forgotten about at this point in time. This hopeless feeling is all too familiar to families like Tim's. 
While investigations are actively pursued at first, leads taper, time slips by, and communication from law enforcement begins to wane. Ariel admits that her confidence in authorities has started to waver over the last few years. A big reason for that being that there appeared to be so much happening in the first year or two of the investigation. Of course, they found Tim, as well as several of his belongings, and they determined his death to be a homicide, resulting from a 22 caliber gunshot wound. But probably the biggest cause for optimism in the early parts of the investigation was that authorities quickly named a person of interest. So let's talk about that. State police are looking into a possible connection. According to multiple news sources, when search parties were out looking for Tim's body, a red car with Indiana tags was seen driving along Mount Hermon Road, passing by multiple times. This, of course, raised some eyebrows and was therefore reported to authorities. Then, a little over a week after finding Tim's body, this same vehicle was pulled over during a routine traffic stop by the nearby Woodland Park Police Department, roughly 20 miles from the crime scene. The owner of the vehicle was a man named Daniel Nations. At the time, he was a 31-year-old convicted sex offender and was considered a transient, living in the area with his wife and two children. Interestingly, Nations was at one point considered a person of interest in the infamous 2017 double murder case out of Delphi, Indiana, popularly known as the Delphi Murders. Nations was later cleared as a person of interest in that case, and at some point had moved from Indiana to Colorado, failing to ever register as new residents. As the El Paso County Sheriff's Office continued to investigate Nations as a person of interest in Tim's case, it was revealed that he had been arrested just weeks earlier, in August, for an unrelated incident that occurred around the same area. According to the arrest affidavit, Nations accosted and threatened a passing dirt biker with a hatchet at his campsite on Mount Hermon Road after placing logs in the road that forced the rider to stop. Later, a search of Nation's vehicle would reveal a hatchet and a 22 caliber rifle, the same caliber said to have killed Tim Watkins, a discovery that warranted an additional charge of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Nations pleaded guilty to the menacing and weapons charges in which he received three years of probation. Just a short time later, he returned to Indiana, where he'd lived previously, to face an additional charge of failing to register as a sex offender. But more reports of Nation's disturbing and dangerous behavior around the Mount Hermon area would be revealed over time. According to Outside, a popular outdoor magazine and news site, Detective Jason Darbyshire of the El Paso County Sheriff's Office stated that Nations had acted aggressively during a road rage incident in Monument around the same time. Darbyshire said that Nations got out of his vehicle, confronted another driver, and ended up kicking and breaking their windshield an incident that he claims escalated very quickly. But as more information was revealed about Daniel Nations and his history of crime, all Tim's family wanted to know was whether or not he had anything to do with Tim's death. As I mentioned previously, the caliber rifle that Nations was found in possession of matched the caliber that killed Tim. Ballistics testing was conducted, but according to reports, the El Paso County Sheriff's Office stated, they were unable to link Nations and his DNA forensically to Tim's case, and that the rounds recovered from Tim's body were so damaged that they could not identify the specific weapon used to fire the rounds. While the El Paso County Sheriff's Office questioned Nations about his potential involvement in Tim's murder, he has never been charged in connection to it, nor has he ever been named a suspect. But to this day, Ariel and the rest of Tim's family can't help but speculate over all the striking similarities he was found in the crime area, had the same caliber of weapon, and had a pretty lengthy criminal history. And there was a bunch of coincidences with him that it felt like, oh, there's no way that it's not this person. It felt like there was things in motion that were coming up and they were just trying to gather evidence to prove that it was this person. And then everything came up inconclusive. Like the bullets from the gun were inconclusive. They said that Daniel Nation's wife had been cooperating with the police and that they didn't find anything that she was saying to find him guilty or anything like that. She showed them like where they were staying and was not interfering with the investigation that she was trying to help as much as possible. But 
how much honesty was into that, I don't know. Nothing was being discovered that proved that they were the people that did that. So it was really frustrating. Eventually, Daniel Nations did an interview with the Gazette and a report last updated in 2020. He discussed his past convictions, as well as the crimes he'd been accused of publicly, but claims innocence in, such as Tim's case and the Delphi case. Nations told the Gazette, quote, I'm not what they made me out to be. I feel like a victim in this situation. According to the report, Nations claimed that the speculation has ruined his name and his marriage. He fears losing rights to see his children, and he's living homeless to avoid retaliation after he was recognized at a local shelter. Nations admitted to illegally having access to a weapon in his vehicle after he and his now estranged wife were stopped by Woodland Park Police on September 25th for driving with a broken taillight. He even admitted to menacing recreators in the Mount Hermon area with a real or simulated weapon before adding, quote, I just want people to know the truth, that I'm not a monster. So what if I've made mistakes? I'm a good person. I'm a good father. The question surrounding the only known person of interest in Tim's case has left his family scratching their heads over who could have been responsible for this heinous crime. I also don't want to, like, say, like, oh, yeah, it had to be this one person, but I just find it so interesting that our persons of interest has never formulated into anything, and there's been nothing else that's come up since this person was brought into the spotlight. I think as a family... We're assuming it had to be someone that was either new to the area or transient, or it was the other theory I have was that it was kids illegally shooting, got scared. That's the only other thing that I can think of that would add up to this and have it be taking so long to come up with any kind of theory. I feel like it wasn't just one person, just because of what happened with my dad and his body being buried and things like that. It would have had to take at least, like, two people, I think, to move him, in my mind. So I don't feel like it was done alone, but that's my theory. As the years pass by, with no new information provided, it continues to wear on Ariel and her family. They want Tim's case solved more than anything. But it's been a challenge to sit idly by and let the investigation run its course when they feel it's been, for the most part, unreliable. The whole thing has become more of a trust exercise at this point. I want to keep his case safe, and that was suggested to us by the police to keep those records sealed so that way when new evidence came up that it would be something that only police knew the information of, essentially. And at first I was really like, okay, that sounds like a great idea, but now as time's going on I'm wondering, like, if the potential to release this information will actually be more helpful than hurt the case. And it's just trying to decide what will actually be the right call on that because we want justice. He deserves it. It kills me knowing that whoever did this, even if they may not be living a free life, they're not facing any consequences of what they did. And taking my dad's life was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. He was so important to me and he was going to be such an important piece, I felt like, in the continuation of my life with my daughter and to be robbed of that and have no one to be held accountable for it is bullshit. Now as time's passing on, it's like how much of this are we just being left in the dark or I think in some ways they just hope we'll forget about it and that is not going to happen in any way, shape, or form. Amongst the frustration and disbelief over her dad's unsolved murder, Ariel tries to maintain a realistic perspective. She knows that solving crimes and death investigations in particular can be difficult and take a lot of time. She empathizes with countless other families who find themselves in a similar position, knowing Tim's is just one of many unsolved cases out there. But she's never lost hope that at some point, something's going to give. Whether it's through unsealing his case or someone coming forward with new information, something has to give. Tim was far too good of a person and meant too much to his family for this to be the end of his story. Back at her home in Crested Butte, 
they continue to keep his memory alive in hopes of one day receiving justice and resolution. We talk about him pretty much every day. Alora decided to call him Flip-Flop because he didn't want to be Grandpa. So whenever we see a hawk, we always go, there's Flip-Flop, he's watching us. Whenever we go on a family bike ride, Alora, my daughter, will always say, like, I can feel Flip-Flop riding with us right now. Like, he's here with us, too. We have pictures up of him all over my house. I still have his ashes, and I'm trying to figure out like a tree or something like that that we can plant in his honor, and we're trying to find a sacred place that we can plant it. We have um, had memorial signs put up for him for trails in the Mount Hermon area. Every time I get on a bike, I can feel him with me. He's in every aspect of my life. He's tattooed on my shoulder here on his little penny bike. So, like, he's with me I just miss him a lot there's so many days that I just I wonder what it would be like if he was still here I wonder how he would feel about seeing his grandbaby riding her bike and like how quickly she took to it (sighs) it's just hard to miss someone with your whole heart and feel like there was no reason for it. And I think that's the thing, is like just trying to live with this Timmy-sized hole in my heart. (laughs) And learning to fill it with good things. Things that he would want me to be doing and not letting what this person did rob me of my freedom and not let this tragedy take over our lives. After all this time, Ariel's resolve has not wavered. While she fights to keep Tim's memory alive, she knows that solving his murder is a real possibility if the right people come forward. In closing, Ariel had a message she wanted to share. The weight of your actions affected so much more than you realize. You didn't just take a person away from me. You took a father, a grandfather. You took away memories. You took away things that I didn't get to experience that I was still so looking forward to sharing with my father. My dad never got to walk me down the aisle. My dad never got to be there for my wedding day. They took my memories that I was going to make with him away. They took my rock. And they took my best friend. And they deserve whatever justice is coming their way. I'm Sergeant Kurt Smith with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office Investigations Division. As we approach the In 2022, around the five-year anniversary of Tim's death, the El Paso County Sheriff's Office shared a post on social media asking for information from the public. It's hard to say if anything new has come from their request. So on their behalf, I'd like to echo the same message. If you have any information about the death of Tim Watkins, please contact the El Paso County Sheriff's Office at 719-520-7777. Thanks for listening. Culpable Case Review is a production of Resonate Originals and Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey. Written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are myself, Mark Mennery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production from Jamie Albright and Taylor Floyd. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole 
Pat Kicklider, and Adam Townsell of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. Sources for this episode include Outside Magazine, The Gazette, and KKTV. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Additional content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to tune in next week when we return with an all-new case. Till next time. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.